So several years ago, our family was driving up Interstate 75. I don't know where we were coming from or where we were going. No cotton eye jo jokes, please. Um, but we were driving north. And I spent a lot of time on 75 over the years, so I'm, and I'm easily confused. So <laughs> I don't know where we were headed or what we were doing. But we were driving up 75, and, and I'm driving. She's in the passenger seat. The windows are rolled down, and, and the kids are singing, and... And we're just kind of watching, I'm watching the road and the traffic and the cars because that's what you're supposed to do when you're driving. And all of a sudden, Heather just says, roll up your windows. I said, what? She goes, roll up the windows right now. And I didn't know why. And I'm like, okay, I, I think it's a beautiful day. Why am I rolling up the windows? Well, I roll up the windows. And as soon as the windows are up, thousands of cicadas just slam into our window. Like I'm eyeball to eyeball with like, hundreds if not thousands of cicadas <laughs> i can't see anything but bugs there's no road no gaps nothing just bugs all over the place and so obviously i slam on my brakes right i slow down really quickly and put on my hazard lights and i'm praying that nobody hits me from the backside. but the thing is those cicadas were there the entire time and guess what i missed it I missed something right in front of me. That, that, that there's a phrase that my grandma used to use, and my parents use, and, and I'm sure I still use sometimes, and it's, if it'd been a snake, it would have bit you. Right? It's the idea that something's right in front of you, and yet you miss it, you don't see it. There's actually a medical term for that. It's called scotoma, and it simply means mental blind spots, the notion that we miss what's right in front of us. I think these mental blind spots, though, can keep us not just from seeing cicadas in this world or seeing truth or reality in our world sometimes. I think it keeps us even from seeing Jesus. Maybe we're too busy driving down this next section of highway and we're just focusing on trying not to hit cars or keeping the right distance, right? Just trying to make it and we're not paying attention to what is right in front of us. Or it could be we're looking for the wrong thing. I wasn't expecting bugs in mass quantities on the middle of the interstate. And so I missed it. I missed it completely. And the thing is, when it comes to seeing Jesus, we wouldn't be the first. We certainly would not be the first people to miss him here, his presence working in our lives or him right in front of us. So that leads us into our study we're going to begin this week. It's called Jesus in the Psalms. Um, the Old Testament points to Jesus. It speaks of his coming and describes who he's going to be thousands of years before he was supposed to show up. And still, people of that time missed it. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and others, they missed who Jesus was. And my hope is as we go through these Psalms, we're going to kind of get a clearer picture of who our Savior really is. So that when we see him working and moving in our lives, we can recognize how we might respond. What does that mean? And let's not miss what he's doing. We're going to start with Psalm 110, which is one of the most quoted scriptures in all the New Testament, Old Testament scriptures in all the New Testament. Um, it's Psalm 10.1 is 
quoted several times. There's a whole chapter dedicated to Psalm 110 verse 4 in the, in the book of Hebrews. It's so often quoted and referred to by Jesus himself and his people. And it does an incredible job of describing who this Savior is, who is coming to the world thousands of years before he was going to arrive. So if you would, open your Bibles to Psalm 110. Psalm 110, we're going to read the whole thing. It's verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read out of the CSB. It goes like this. This is the declaration of the Lord to my Lord. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, rule over your surrounding enemies. Your people will volunteer on your day of battle. In holy splendor, the womb of the dawn, the dew of your youth belongs to you. The Lord has sworn an oath and will not take it back. You are a priest forever according to the pattern of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand and he will crush the kings in the day of his anger. He will judge the nations, heaping up corpses. He will crush leaders over their entire world, and he will drink from the brook of the road. Therefore, he will lift up his head. So right out of the gate, we get this picture of Jesus that I think conflicts with who we hope to see, right? We have this notion of Jesus who loves us, Jesus who protects us, Jesus who warms us up when we are cold and Jesus who brings us life when we are struggling. And Jesus is all of those things. But verses five and six paint a picture of a Jesus who recognizes that it's not always going to go smooth, that there will be people at the end of the day that will choose not to follow him and will remain in conflict with him and with God. And one of the unfortunate things about conflict is that there's almost always casualties. Um, And that's not God condoning it. That's not God saying, this is a good thing. This is God saying, this is a reality, right? There will be people that will be against me and be against you if you are one of my people. And we need to be prepared for that. But he begins this psalm with this interesting declaration of the Lord to my Lord, right? The Lord declares to my Lord. (laughs) Yahweh, the one who has always existed and will always exist, declares to Adonai, the Lord, my Lord, the one who is in charge. It's this holy conversation that David is able to have a seat at. He's able to see it. And you might go, well, I don't get to see those things. How does that happen? Well, Jesus actually addresses that in Matthew chapter 22 when the Pharisees are trying to trap him. Uh, They were looking for uh, any way that they could to discredit him as the Messiah because, by the way, they were also looking for the wrong thing and they missed him. But in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus says, look, it's by the power of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, I would imagine, that allowed him to see this conversation, to have a tableside seat. Jesus would use this as a way of trying to show the Pharisees this is foretold. This was thousands of years ahead of time. This is what this was going to look like. There was always going to be me and the Father working together. And yet the Pharisees still couldn't see it. Peter would refer to this same verse in Acts chapter 2, verses 
34 and 35 at the beginning of the church as the church is launching right it's it, it's it's that day where he's making this this grand sermon in the middle of the the square and there are people from all walks of life and all countries and all languages all around him and all the disciples have this tongue of fire going on and all of a sudden they can speak these other people's languages they're telling them the gospel in their own language it's pretty crazy there's a lot of stuff going on here and peter finishes after using this verse he finishes in verse 36 of chapter 2 he says therefore let all the house of israel know with certainty that god has made this jesus whom you crucified whom you missed right both lord and messiah there's a reality there that whether or not you see it it's still coming whether or not I saw the cicadas, they were coming from my windshield, right? There was no getting around that. And, and this is a statement that whether or not you're looking for the Messiah to show up, or if you've got this box that you've put the Messiah in, who he's supposed to be in your life and to the world, you might miss him, but he's coming anyways. And in fact, as Peter says, he's here. But this leads us to something that I think is one of our blind spots, as seeing Jesus as more than a savior, more than the Messiah, also means looking for a Lord and King. I think that's the problem the Pharisees and the Sadducees had. They really liked the power and the control and the influence they had. And they weren't willing to cede the notion that maybe they were off base or they were wrong. They were not willing to give that over and call Jesus Lord and King. You see, Jesus isn't just a lifeguard. He's not just there to save you when, when you get too deep, right? And you suddenly find yourself in a place where you can't swim back. He's not just a good Samaritan who's there to help me or help you when we're down or when we're desperate. And he's not just a safety net, the, you know, that, that thing that catches us when we misstep, when we're going down the road, doing our own thing, and suddenly we need him and he's there to catch us. Is he those things? If we let him be, 100%. Yes, he totally is. But he is also so much more. He has come to give eternal life. But not just that. He's also come to take charge of our lives starting now. David, David saw it by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit. David saw it. The Pharisees couldn't see it. They missed it completely. The disciples, they show up and they proclaim it. And by the way, I don't think they saw it out of the gate either, how this was all going to work. I don't think they recognized it until maybe this moment in Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, where they finally, it all just clarifies and makes sense to them because his presence is undeniable. But they proclaim it, and Jesus expects us as his people to live it. But the question would be, are we too busy trying to live out our own lives that we're not allowing him to be the Lord of them. That he is not making the decisions that he is not guiding. And the truth is, if you're looking only for a savior and not for a Lord, you're going to miss out on Jesus right in front of you. But there's even more. If we go back to our Psalm, Psalm 110 verse 4, it says this, it says, The Lord has sworn an oath and will not take it back. You are a priest forever, according to the pattern of Melchizedek. Now, 
a priest. A priest's job in the Old Testament was to be the intercessor, the, the atoner, the counselor, the instructor. He's really the connection between the people of God and God himself. He's, he's the one who interprets God's will and the one who helps people see what needs to happen in the coming days and who presents an offering to the Lord. He is that bridge. Now, who is this dude Melchizedek? Well, Melchizedek is actually given an entire chapter in Hebrews chapter 7, or nearly that. It's 11 through 28, verses 11 through 28 of chapter 7, discussing who this Melchizedek is and what he means and why he matters. But as David writes it here in the psalm, he's writing of a king and a priest But that doesn't make any sense to David in the moment when he's writing because in David's time, those two were to be separated. They were not to be together. In fact, King Uzziah in 2 Chronicles chapter 26 tries to pull them back together and it doesn't end well. Um, People are killed for it. God says, no, no, I told you not to do this. Don't do this. So this, this Melchizedek character is unique unique. In fact, he is the first priest listed, priest of the God Most High listed in all of the Bible. And he's also the king of Salem. He's a very unique character in many, many ways. David is reaching back to the roots. You see, Jesus isn't just a savior. He isn't even just a king, which to say those things out loud is mind-boggling. He is constantly operating as our priest. He is interceding and atoning. He is offering counsel and instruction. And by the way, will be doing so forever through his word, through his spirit, and through his example. But we have to look to him to be these things and to see them in our lives. We have to expect him to be Lord, to be Savior, and to be guiding us. Otherwise, we might miss him working altogether but there's even yet more. Jesus carries with him the very power of God. We already went through verses five and six and seven. And verse seven of of it, it says, he will drink from the brook of the road and therefore he will lift up his head. The idea there is that God will do whatever is necessary to restore holiness to this world. God will do whatever is necessary to redeem his people and The reason he's able to say, I will do what I need to do and I will lift my head, right? Is because he can. (laughs) He has the power that is beyond power. He has the strength that is beyond strength. And he has the mission that is beyond anything we could possibly hope to see happen in this world or achieve on our own. But make no mistake, there is a cost to remaining blind, to having a blind spot to the presence of Jesus Christ and the deity of God, the lordship of Christ. There's a cost to it, but there is victory if we dare to see, if we dare to look for the fullness of who Jesus is and who he desires to be in this world and in our lives, and if we embrace it. David saw it thousands of years before Jesus's arrival. Peter declared its arrival on the very day the church was born, And today we can live it if we're looking for it. Jesus is intended to be our everything, not just parts of our lives, 
all of our lives because in him is true life, true life eternal, delivered by a savior from a holy God. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and give you peace. God bless.